physical media and entertainment from the silver screen to the palm of your hand. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of From Screen to Shelf. Hope everybody is doing well. Thank you guys for tuning in. To all our listeners out there and all our viewers on the tube, the tube of you, the YouTube. Today, folks, I am joined by my esteemed colleagues once again, Gabe and Chase, to talk to you about cult movies, cult films. Cult movies, cult movies. You're supposed we're, to do the echo, man. We're, the echo is like, <laughs> I love how that's like, it was like a Friday the 13th thing, and it's just like keeps, you know. Keeps going. Re- yeah. It just keeps going, you know, with different different episodes. But yeah, we're going to we're gonna talk about cult movies today, guys. Now, before we get in deep to the conversation, there's we should maybe clarify, like, because there, there seems to be, nowadays anyway right i mean growing up it might have been a little different but like with the advent of like streaming and just the way that things are nowadays there's like there's a few different perceptions out there i guess we can say about what a cult movie is right so i I don't know if you guys want to talk about that a little bit first we can just kind of i guess talk about what we always thought cult movies were because i i think the three of us as far as what we think are kind of on the same page with that right i mean gabe what what do you think we were kind of talking before yeah we we were talking like right before we started that at least at least my interpretation and i think you guys were on the same page a a cult movie is a movie that you know when it was initially released it maybe wasn't well uh, critically received and didn't perform well uh at the box office either and it kind of you know transitions into finding its own life in like home video it starts developing kind of its own fan base over time um that's been my interpretation of a cult movie for a while but like recently we've been reading a lot of stuff before you know doing this podcast and it seems like there are different kinds of you know cult movies some people say there are mainstream cult movies there are you know like um exploitative art house movies e-movies so there are different like subcategories of cult movies um I think we're going to operate off, off of our kind of traditional understanding of what a cult movie is. Um, it, and I, I think most people will probably agree. Um, I, I don't think that there are any titles that we talked about where people would say, though, that's not a cult movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's yeah, the, the, the definition has kind of changed over time. And I'm not quite sure what happened there. I think you and I were talking about it, Will, that we saw like Pulp Fiction was on a on a list as a, as a cult movie. And we thought that was kind of kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, Pulp Fiction, you know, that was nominated for Oscars, you know, yeah. it was in the running with like Forrest Gump and, and everything else that year, you know, back in the 90s when it was released. So and Pulp Fiction's a fantastic movie. I don't think any of us, you know, disagree with that statement. But um, as far as a cult film, yeah, I mean, I, I looked up a list on uh, online and there are a few different lists. I mean, depending on where you go, every site is going to have their own thing. But it like that list was interesting because it was user generated. And I I just, I saw a lot of movies on there that were pretty much in line with Pulp Fiction in terms of audience reception. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. and as you said, my understanding of what a cult movie is, has always been that, you know, usually a cult film is one that is panned critically. Um, it, It suffers either controversy or, or backlash upon its initial release and really, I mean, whether it's with critics or audiences, it just doesn't perform well uh, and, and usually ends up finding finding life or finding a second life uh, on home video, right? After the fact, sometimes years, years later. So yeah. uh, that's always been my understanding of what a cult film is, something that is 
um, not necessarily trying to veer away from the mainstream or, or what mainstream sensibilities are, but more so uh, the type of film that was initially rejected by the mainstream or deemed, you know, too controversial or, or too inappropriate or, or too fringe, right, for the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, movies like Rocky Horror, which we're probably going to touch on today. Um, I think Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of embodies that, you know, for a long time when you when you talk to, I guess you could say, regular people like like non-film buffs like hey what do you think is is a cult movie everybody talks about rocky horror picture show like my parents you know grew up with with yeah movies like that you know and and if i were to go ask them right now they'd, they'd say it like yeah oh yeah rocky horror you know that was like the big cult movie of their generation so to speak so um but yeah um i'd say it's probably in line with that something that was obscure or unpopular at the time uh and, you know, just just something that kind of expanded after the fact and developed a, a, a loyal following, you know, yeah. uh, and we're going to talk about those kinds of movies today. We have we have a plethora of uh, films to talk about. So I don't know which one of you guys wants to open up. Chase, let's I, I think I'm going to hand it over to you because you have one that I think you've been wanting to talk about and one that I think is going to be a good conversation starter. Um, yeah, one that's. One that's been in terms of marketing and branding, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of re-entered the I guess we can say the the movie zeitgeist in terms of horror films in in, in recent years. In fact, uh, it's a movie that a lot of people misunderstood originally, but now you ask a lot of people, especially fans of the franchise that it's that it's involved with, uh, and also in the horror genre in general, it's it's a favorite, you know, um, mm-hmm. right up there with the original. So. I'm going to have you take it from here. Yeah, man. So my, or like this, the very first thing just to kind of get, get the ball rolling on it. um, Cause uh, like you said, it embodies a lot of what we're talking about, but I did kind of want to add also just a different perspective. Cause when we were looking through those lists, another thing to add on with how cult movies can be um, is also rabid fan bases could probably categorize something. You know what I mean? So that might be why Pulp Fiction gets put on a list like that. You know, so like, you know, the fan base is rabid for it, no matter how the uh, reception, it could be amazing, you know, like Kill Bill has one of the most rabid fan bases in in that same realm, you know, like, you know, they're very vocal about um, wanting the whole bloody affair. Um, I would probably even be damned to say that like Zack Snyder's Justice League is a cult movie, you know what I mean? Like in, in that realm and how that's perceived, right? Because of the fan base. But to kind of segue into like the main way that we're trying to categorize cult movies on this one is Tommy Lee Wallace's Halloween three season of the witch. Uh, One of my personal favorite horror movies. Uh, One of my most rewatched horror movies uh, is in this category. It embodies everything that I love about taking chances and succeeding. Right. Of course, critically, I mean, it actually did make some money, um, depending on how you look at it. It had a budget of four point six million, made fourteen point four. It's not like a smashing success, but it still didn't lose them a lot of money. And home video sales had to have been relatively strong for that, just out of curiosity at some point. But it's one of those ones where a lot of creative freedom was taken. The acting performances are very strong, and it's got a very eerie uh, premise. I remember watching that movie very young. And it being actually terrifying, the idea of it, like it, the idea of what that is in that movie is actually terrifying. Like every mask from this mass manufactured 
like Halloween company melting kids' faces and heads is terrifying. You know, if you get a hold of that movie at seven or eight, you're gonna be like, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna dress up for Halloween, but I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, it, it, it's really, really, really interesting. Uh, I, I get the point of no Michael Myers, but I also admire it because it did embody, like, if you're a true Halloween fan, and I mean that, like, wholeheartedly, then you have to respect that movie to the fullest because that was what John Carpenter's vision for this series was, is exactly what we got out of Halloween 3. And it made me, when I realized that, respect the movie on a whole different level and wish that it did better because some more movies like that would have been awesome. And I don't know if the movie would have as big of a cult following if it wasn't Halloween 3, if it was just a movie called Season of the Witch. You know, if it was just like another horror movie put out on the market, maybe it would have done better. You know, Um, who knows? Because the premise of it, the theme songs in it, John Carpenter scores in it, just absolutely unreal. Everything about that, I think, embodies everything that we're going to talk about. Um, Yeah, who's the he's a pretty... um, mainstream um uh, tom atkins tom atkins uh, yeah. tom atkins absolutely kills it in that movie um like the horror that he feels for like the dilemma that they're in everything like that it's such a strong movie and i feel like it's become a lot more mainstream and cult over i'd have to even say man i remember people still bashing it about maybe 10 15 years ago but it, it it has a very strong second wind. And I have yet to meet somebody that genuinely dislikes the movie for what it is. The mm. biggest complaint is no Michael, right? That's it. Yeah. That's the only big complaint I've seen because it's a very strong entry in its own realm. And I know we both have absolute love for it. And I dare say I love it just as much as the original. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I got uh, I got three masks from on post you know sitting in a glass container 10 feet away you know i mean that it's one of those movies that uh i mean even today you still get people that are like yeah i just don't get that movie um yeah but it's it's just become such a strong entry in that franchise and i think like looking back at especially with halloween we talked about it but i think halloween 3 people kind of talk about halloween ends in the same way yeah um in some aspects because halloween ends was so divisive when it when it came out um, when it was released, but mm-hmm. I think Halloween three, like you said, Chase, even for the eighties, because a lot of people look at the eighties and, and the eighties in terms of horror, there were so many different things happening. There was, it was so unrestrained for that time, you know, coming out of the seventies, um, where a lot of eighties horror films, I guess we could say were, they, they didn't care about political correctness. And I think this movie it's it's honestly one of the darkest movies, like you said, in terms of the plot and and what actually mm-hmm. is is happening and what the end game is and what the yeah. the agenda is, what the goal is of the Silver Shamrock Company. It's one of the darkest movies I think of that time period. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. Which is why I think it's so terrifying, right? Like even all these years later, like just watching it, and mm-hmm. it's just so different from what we're used to. Obviously, it's the only movie in the franchise that doesn't have michael in it but like you said i think i think it's because of that nowadays looking back and you get all these different entries and they all have michael and they all revolve around that uh but it's the one movie that i look at with hopes that you know they'll revisit it one day and maybe try to expand on that universe you know and they have the Mm -hmm. ability to do that now we talked about this with like the anthology horror stuff and how there's more of an audience for that i think nowadays than there was or I should say, then there has been in quite some time. So 
um i'd like to see that revisited but yeah as far as cult films are concerned i think halloween 3 is is up there it's like one that perfectly it, it just perfectly exemplifies what a cult movie is right because of how you know endearing it is to the fan base that it has so yeah yeah one of my favorites for sure you just Gabe, really flashbacks with i mean like i told you guys before we rolled i've not seen this movie since i was like god dude maybe like 13 years old but Dang. when you started talking about kind of like the melting of the faces and stuff i instantly started getting flashbacks about it but I, I i do remember obviously the notion of not like no michael myers that's what you know was the big divisive thing but uh, it's interesting how you brought up halloween ends will and, and it's, it's almost the same it shares it shares the same notion of like you know if this wasn't a halloween movie would it have been well received like you know just mm-hmm. its own kind of separate idea its own concept but mm-hmm. I think because it's attached to an IP and it's attached to a franchise, obviously people have certain expectations of what should be going into that franchise. Um, so I, I, I think maybe it could have done well if it wasn't Halloween. And I think even I, I didn't like Halloween ends at all. But I mean, even with that movie, I mean, yeah. if it was just its own movie of just kind of, you know, a, a character study on someone, you know, growing up in a town like that where the history of someone, you know, you know uh, slaughtering their babysitter and you know if it wasn't halloween it would have been an interesting kind of uh story but it but it was Mm -hmm. attached to halloween so when you're under that umbrella you know you do fall under the realm of expectations and i do remember halloween 3 just kind of watching it and i and i i was like 13 at the time i wish i remember how old i was when i saw it but um it it was weird not seeing michael myers (laughs) you're like this is halloween where's michael myers but um A lot of the scenes, I they were they were pretty gruesome, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. they're really yeah. gruesome scenes. From as soon as you started talking about melting faces, I started remembering and getting flashbacks. I need to watch it again. It's been such a while. You guys are obviously the the Halloween fanatics in the room, but um, I do remember glimpses of it, and um, I'd you know it'd be interesting to watch it again just to see if if it is kind of what you guys said. It's it's attached to that franchise, and there are certain mm-hmm. realms and expectations for it. So. Um, I'll probably maybe watch it again here in the next month. That'd be interesting to watch again. Get I'll say one 4K, more thing man, about it's great. it. Yeah, get the 4K for sure. Yeah, I, I was just going to mention, just to tack on there before we move on to the next pick, um, it, it's one of those movies that I think suffers from what people's anticipation is or what people's expectations mm-hmm. are of slasher movies as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, that again, that's the reason why, like even when I was growing up, getting into the slasher films, you know, Michael, Jason, Freddy, and, and, and so on and so forth, Ghostface to throw another one out there, you're expecting it to, to have Michael. Right. And I think that's what initially is like the big letdown. At least that was for me. It's like, Oh, Michael's not in it, you know? And and it was weird because I remember seeing the movie, the poster for it, like at the video store. And I was like, what is that? You know? And I didn't even realize it was a Halloween movie because again, I'm used to seeing Michael's face on the covers like Halloween four and Halloween five and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, it suffers from that. It suffers from the audience expectation that they're going to get another movie with Michael. And I think that's what the initial turnoff is, is that, well, he's not in it. So I'm just not going to give it the time of day, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, and I think Chase, you can say the same, you know, we're both happy that it's, it's it has the status that it has nowadays so yep. uh gabe i don't know if you want to throw one at us because i know you had a few we were talking about before we rolled so i'm interested yeah man i mean that. at least the top one for me is it's it's the big lebowski and that may be more mm-hmm. kind of a mainstream opinion but like i mean the big lebowski is just it's such a quirky freaking movie man um mm-hmm. i remember seeing it 
I think I was in high school when I saw it and I, and I had no idea what this movie was about, but I, I remember it. I, I remember it being like the perfect movie with like almost no plot to it. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, you know, he, at the beginning, he's trying to get a new rug and then that goes into, you know, a, a kidnapping and then that goes into, you know, let's, well, let's, you know, try to steal this, you know, money from this old dude. And it's like, it, the, the plot's not going anywhere. It's honestly just kind of like a hangout movie almost where you're just like following these dudes around and seeing <laughs> what they're up to. But I, it, it just was such a fun time, man. And, and it's such a fun time. Just, you know, it, you feel like you're in the room with them. And you really don't know where the story's going to go. And I think that's what I appreciate about a lot, a lot of these like hangout movies, so to speak, like Friday or, um, you know, Big Lebowski or Dude, Where's My Car, where you just don't know where the hell it's going. It's just like, you know, they're they're on a journey and you're just kind of thrown in on the journey with them. Um, mm-hmm. And Big Lebowski, do the performances of that movie are so spot on. I, I've watched that movie like more times than I can count. And, and I still laugh at half the shit that they say. I, I think it. I, I don't know if at the time and I mean, maybe get your opinion on it, but it's like if that threw people off just this whole notion of like, where, what is this movie trying to be and where is it going? Because it definitely doesn't fall under the aesthetic of any, any kind of particular film at the time. Do you do you guys remember what year it came out? I think it, it was, was late 90s, late yeah. 90s, late um, 90s. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I mean, you know, late 90s, I'm trying to remember when. Like Pulp Fiction was like what mid nineties. Yeah, I'm Pulp trying Fiction to see like which 94. one came out first, actually. Um, so Big Lebowski so was yeah. ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight. I mean, and then ninety four for Pulp Fiction. Ninety four for Pulp Fiction. Yeah, because yes. like, I mean, you know, you in the nineties, you had movies like Reservoir Dogs and, and Pulp Fiction. Like Tarantino, I think, was a big influence on a lot of people. But it, it's funny mm-hmm. because you you talked about hangout movies and. Uh, I was going to mention like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as, oh, as yeah. like a modern hangout movie, right? But I, I think it takes a lot of cues from movies like The Big Lebowski. So it's interesting to see that come kind of full circle now, you know. Um, but as far as like, are you talking about just like the release or like the reception? I mean, the the initial reception, at least I think, and I got to look at it. It's been a while, but I remember reading mm-hmm. reviews for it when it came out. And a lot of people were just kind of like... I don't want to say like flabbergasted, but they were just like, what, what is, what is this trying to be? Or, you know, like what, I guess confused as to where the story was going and the aesthetic of the movie and what it falls into in terms of what it was trying to do. And it, and it, and it is yeah. kind of like a very ambiguous movie. A lot of, I guess a lot of critics it at is. the time, they, they thought it was weird, you know, not everyone hated it, but there were well, a lot of see that. critics yeah. thinking that it's just kind of like this weird movie and they didn't know where to, where to kind of put it. Um, hmm. But over time, I mean, it's obviously garnered like a huge fan base and there's there's screenings all the time for this movie. You know, over the years, I've, I've been to so many screenings where it you know, comes out for anniversary or just, you know, uh, art house theaters here in town that they'll play it. Um, and you hear people reciting the lines just because there's so many freaking classic lines in this movie. Um, but I, I do think, when you know, when it first came out, there's definitely kind of this ambiguous reception critically. Mm-hmm. Um but over time, I think people just started kind of re- getting really attached to, to these characters and and kind of, you know, going on that journey with them. Let me ask you this, Gabe. Do you mm-hmm. think, because I agree with what you're saying about people kind of looking at it at the time and saying, well, what's going on with this? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Fargo 
was released. I'm, I'm pretty sure that came out like a few years, like one or two years or maybe two or three years before the big Lebowski. Let me see. And Fargo here. was, was Fargo was like praised when it came out from what I remember. It got like heavy. Critical yeah. Reaction. So I have a feeling, but let me ask you this. I mean, do you think it was kind of coming off of Fargo for the Coen brothers to put out big Lebowski? Do you think critics were kind of like, okay, well, we got Fargo, which was amazing. And now mm-hmm. it's like, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> like, what are these guys, you know, that's, a, that's who's an interesting the, who's this dude that everyone's talking about, you know, um, in terms of, in terms of a follow-up film, right. I'm wondering yeah, I mean, if maybe critics at the time felt a bit underwhelmed going into the big Lebowski coming, coming off of, uh, coming off of Fargo, you know, that, that could be it. I mean, with, with Fargo, you definitely had that kind of, I think the, Fargo was quirky too, from what I remember. It's quirky, but you definitely have that kind of like I'm trying to. What's a good way to describe Fargo? Right? It's like a like a black comedy crime drama, so to speak. Mm. Right? So like it, it's it's like yeah. Fargo. You kind of knew where the story was going, right? I think that the, it, it was a weird story. It was quirky, right? A lot of the characters were quirky. The way they mm. talked, you know, they're, it's quirky as hell. But it. I think it really built towards kind of a climax, which you were, at least when I saw it, I was kind of like, you know, all this, everything's going wrong. This is all culminating to like this climax at the end. And and you can kind of see where it's going. Whereas I think with, with the big Lebowski, you, you, you just watch that movie and you have no idea where it's going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They could be, you know, one minute, you know, in this dude's mansion, he's just trying to get his rug back. And then all of a sudden there's like, you know, seven people, you know, trying to, get after this money or find out where this girl's kidnapped there's so many weird characters and you're like where the what, what is this movie trying to do like what, what's the statement this this movie's trying to make and it didn't really have any um it was yeah. just you were just kind of thrown along for the ride with the dude and it's and and i think maybe that could have underwhelmed critics but i think people really attached themselves to it mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that it's interesting too because i'm like i mean and i have it i i watched i watched it I think I watched it back in November. I'm trying to remember, but it's one of those movies. Like I watch it maybe multiple times a year sometimes. And, and like you said, as far as a hangout movie is concerned, I can just have it on in the background and do what I need to do. And just the fact that it's playing, like there's some kind of comfort that I yeah. take when it's on. It's just cause I'm just so comfortable watching it. And it's just, again, I think it's one of those movies that you can just watch over and over again. And I almost think it, it, like you said, like, because there's not really, not that there's not a lot going on, but there's a lot um, going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on, but at the same time, it's, it's, I don't know. It's weird because I've seen it so many times now. It's so digestible for me that I can just have it on in the background and not necessarily pay attention. And I think what you said about it's, it's a very quotable movie. There's a lot of great lines of dialogue in this movie. I think particularly like John Goodman's character is just, like i I love his his acting in this i think Mm -hmm. his performance is top notch it's it's so funny to to watch the three of them you know john goodman jeff Jeff bridges Bridges and steve buscemi interact especially like the scenes in the bowling alley like when he pulls out the gun and it's just (laughs) it's so funny and you know what i love with movies like this like when you actually sit down to watch them over and over again it's like you know you watch a movie more than once you start to see things that you haven't seen the first time this is one of those movies where, like in the scene uh, at the bowling alley, for example, I always look at the background actors because when he pulls out the piece, you see people in the background like start to freak out and, and run away. And 
I just love how the dude is just this guy that is just so unfazed by, by everything, everything that's happening. <laughs> He's just like, you know, Walter, they're calling the cops, put the piece away, man. And like, it's just, it's dude, it's just so funny. You know I mean? It's yeah. just so, and at the same time, it's, it has this weird, like endearing quality to it. Yeah. Um, which is what I like about it. But getting back to what I was going to say, I mean, as far as like categorizing it, I don't even know how I would. I mean, I guess you can say it's, I've heard people say it's like, I don't know, they, it, it's like one of those, like a modern Western movie, like in terms of like the setup and the fact that it's very reserved in terms of its, it's the sequence hmm. of events. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I guess you could say it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, you have the whole like mistaken identity uh, plot point uh, where they think he's the other Lebowski. So that ties into the whole thing. And I guess you could say it's, is it a crime movie? I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's you know, they a crime movie. The girl it's and hold her for western. ransom. And it's yeah. I mean, like the, the western part is interesting because the. I mean, obviously the opening opening narration, right? It's like that. Uh, yep. I forgot who did it, but the that cowboy that you don't even know who the hell he oh. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel bad. I forgot the actor's name, but yeah, it's like you know you have the tumbleweed oh, at the beginning, the cowboy narrating it, but then you have like mm. all the like you said, like is this a crime movie? I mean, it's a comedy for sure. Um. Mm. But I think what I think people just attach themselves to the journey itself and, and these characters. And also, uh, you know, I don't want to undermine. We, we talked about Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, um, mm -hmm. Steve Buscemi's freaking hilarious every single time. You know, he's at, he's trying to catch up with the conversation and fucking <laughs> John Goodman's just pissed at him. He's like, keep up, keep up. And you got freaking uh, John Turturro, man, with that that one character that I, I oh, uh, was it Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus or Jesus. Like <laughs> oh, he's cleaning the freaking bowling balls, man. It's just freaking hilarious, dude. And honestly, these guys are just, I think they're able to create like some really iconic characters um, from mm. this premise of just like you said, kind of just people hanging out and, you know, bowling and, and seeing what trouble they can get into. Um, but yeah, man, yeah. It's, it's a movie that stuck around with me. And I, I am a hundred percent with you. I watch it in the background all the time. Um, cause it's, it, you, you can honestly pick up from that movie anywhere. Like you really don't need to stick with it. Obviously if it's your first time watching it, stick with it, watch the whole thing. Mm. But you know, once you've seen it a few times, you can pop your head in and see like, Oh, we're at, we're at this part now because really there is no yeah. linear kind of story. It's trying to tell. It's just all over the place. Um, I mean, you could call it like a neo-noir film too. Cause I was thinking yeah. about it more so as you were talking. And I, I think that's another word I would, you know, it's another genre, I guess that it kind of falls into. Yeah, but I sure. guess that's why it's so unique, right? More so than Fargo, because it's, I mean, Fargo was released just, uh, last year. Uh, Shout Factory put a 4K UHD mm -hmm. out of that. And I think I had watched that in early November, and then I had gone back and watched The Big Lebowski, I think later in the month, I want to say. I had seen it at some point, and my memory escapes me. But yeah, it's definitely, I think, one of the most quotable films that the Coen brothers have done, you know, personally mm -hmm. speaking. But yeah, it's just, I mean, it, the, the lines are just so, the dialogue is just so good. It's so easy to remember. It's so quotable. I think that's why so many people like it. You know, it's just, yeah. a, it's, and a, it's lot a of comfort have, thing for me. Have, have kind of, like you said, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't remember, if, I think Friday came out after this, right? Yeah, Friday was, when was, when was the first Friday? Because I, uh, I think it was, I think it was, I want to say it was earlier, but I don't remember. Oh yeah, it was it was ninety five actually? It was ninety. It came before, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I thought it came out after, but yeah, I mean, like you have all these hangout movies, man, and I think that they, 
you know, they all do something unique and, and different, but for sure, Le mm. Big Lebowski definitely kind of takes it to another level with, you know, even the dream sequences and the, you know, the how extreme some of these characters are. It, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's just a fun ride. Chase, have, what about you, man, with the big? Oh, go ahead, Will. No, I was just going to say that one last thing. I, I love the uh, the nihilists oh, that, that they encounter. <laughs> Those guys at the waffle diner, <laughs> like outside the bowling alley or whatever it is. And they're like every, every character so extreme. <laughs> Jeff Bridges yeah. is always like they're nihilists, man. They're nihilists. <laughs> they don't <man>. care. <laughs> no, the room really tied the rug together, dude. Yeah. What about you, Chase? Man, any thoughts on Big Lebowski? I actually haven't seen it. <gasps> that's gonna be yeah. the next. Uh, <laughs> that's the. Uh, I'll watch this. Next if you challenge, watch that. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. great. I no, have the 4K, perfect. but I haven't watched it. Um, I think it, you'll it, love it's, it, man sitting actually because i don't know i i know you guys know this but um i have a very specific way i go through my 4ks i make them intentionally piss me off by setting them like catty cornered in front of my tv oh yeah so that way i have <laughs> yeah so like when i'm sitting down doing anything i have to kind of be like okay i got to kill this stack and it's in yeah. that stack i think it's like my one of my next five movies in that stack oh but, sweet yeah, because I just got it not too long ago. Um, because the 4K, I mean, you could get the regular edition for pretty cheap, but I got the Steelbook for like super cheap on Blow It Out of Here randomly, like yeah. just a few months ago. So it's been in that stack. Um, so I'll be watching it very soon for sure. Yeah, because I, I know I like love it. that movie. Yeah. yeah, you'll love it. I, at least yeah. I think you'll love it. It's it's 100% quirky and weird, and yeah. it's a fun ride. That uh, method that he alley. uses works, by the way, because he told me about it, and I did it. And I, after a week, I was like, I gotta fucking watch these movies because it, it, it was. I was like, <laughs> I don't know how he it. does this. I don't know how he. Does, <laughs> dude, my OCD was. Maybe I gotta uh, do it too. I don't. I don't know. I, no, I have like a yeah. shelf of like the ones I haven't seen, kind of like on this side, and mm -hmm. I try to go through that shelf a little bit and then kind of reorganize it. But I, I think maybe. If I do what Chase does, I think I would probably get through some 4Ks a lot faster because they would bug the <laughs> fuck out of me. <laughs> no, it works because yeah. it's a visual thing, too. You know, because yeah. when he told me, I was like, I never thought about doing that. And uh, yeah. It, yeah, if you want to bang out movies for sure, that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OCD, you'll get the man. Stack. Yeah, yeah. Man. Uh, and also, Will Big you... Lebowski, I was just going to say, it, it is available. I think Universal put it out. Uh, I have the, the version. It's... Uh, they have this essentials collection. If anybody out there listening or watching is interested, so if you're a fan of it and you don't have it, I mean, I don't know who wouldn't have it at this point. You can buy the 4K for like it's like five bucks or something like that on yeah. Amazon, like the standard MRA. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, they have a essential collection, which is pretty cool if you're into that. So check that out. Um, Will, you had a um a pick uh right before we were rolling that you said you wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, I have a few, and I think one of them we both had on our list, so I'll I'll save the second one. Maybe if you want to mention it, and then we'll kind of go back and forth on that. Um, sure. But the first one I found was a movie that I had watched a while back, probably probably in college, um, that I wasn't necessarily aware of, and it's a movie from well, it's it's Todd Browning's Freaks from I think it was thirty one or thirty two, nineteen thirty two. This movie was released. Uh, and it was interesting to me because when I'm thinking about cult movies, it's it's weird because like growing up, I had this whole idea that like, well, cult movies were they're like modern films from like the 70s and the, and the 80s. And growing up, I had this weird I always correlated cult movies with movies of that era. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and that was partly due to my, you know, lack of knowledge of what else was out there. You know, I was still getting into film. I was still getting into different genres and different time periods. And the only movies that I really knew of from, you know, the late twenties and I should say the thirties were the universal monster movies, right? Because I had watched those growing up, you know, those are the movies that my dad introduced me to when, when we were younger. So that was really, and other than the elephant man, cause I had seen the elephant man yeah. in high school, which, which some people, I guess, consider that that can be considered a cult movie as well for, for one way or another. But, hmm. um, the only real knowledge I had of any movies from that time period were the universal monster movies and some of the classic noir films that like my mom had watched, um, which were years later. I mean, that wasn't until the late forties and the fifties when, you know, noir really kicked off originally, but I found freaks to be interesting because it was released around the same time that the universal monsters were picking up steam. But this film was like universally hated when it was released. In fact, I think it was put out from what I'm reading here. Cause I wasn't aware of this MGM yeah. released it originally. And the test screenings were so bad, they they apparently pulled it um, because the reception was just immediate. It was just immediately met with uh, backlash. So, I guess they had purchased the rights from. I guess it was a short story originally from like the mid twenties, um, and they they only paid like eight grand for it, which is amazing wow. to think about. I mean, mm. back then, you know. Um, the cost of things, obviously, doing business was much cheaper. Inflation, but I was just—I was really intrigued by it because this is a movie that, again, being someone who grew up, you know, watching, you know, the classic monster movies and then getting into like '70s and '80s horror. I guess you could say that this kind of crosses over into the horror genre in that realm in some aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was just intrigued by kind of the background of of how this movie came to be. Um, it bombed at the box office. Uh, apparently, it lost one hundred and sixty-four thousand dollars originally. Um, it grossed two hundred and eighty-nine thousand uh, and fifty-two thousand internationally. Um, so, although it wasn't a financial success, um, I guess it earned a lot in smaller cities. Um, so that was interesting to to read about. But yeah, I mean, it was it was. Um, the test screenings were disastrous. I guess they held test screenings in 1932. And hmm. I'm reading that the art director, I guess it's a, I don't know if it's a woman here. Let's see who this is. Yeah, a gentleman named Merrill Pye, who was the art director on it. I guess I'm, and I'm reading a quote here. And he says, halfway through the preview, a lot of people got up and ran out. They didn't walk out, they ran out. So, oh, man. yeah. So, I guess due to those extremely unfavorable responses, they cut the picture down from its original 90-minute runtime to just over half an hour because people were so appalled um, at what they were seeing. Um, apparently, because they used like real circus freaks, so there was a lot of controversy around this movie for years. So that immediately caused me to go seek it out. Uh, and I was actually blown away by it. Like, I, I think there's actually a lot of interesting things going on um, with this movie. Is it the full? Um, well, like, they, you because you said they had, they had trimmed it down, but like, is you the can full watch cut available? The, yeah, they, the full cut is available now. You can watch okay. the full cut. Um, 
and, and here's the thing, because I, I told you guys, it kind of crosses over into that realm of horror. I don't think it doesn't. It's not fully a horror film. Um, but I think it's more so there, there's actually some interesting topics that it touches on, one of which is class struggle. Um, so if you look at if you look at it through the lens of something like a context of, I guess you could say, like a depression right in the economy. Um, it, it, there's there's a story of a class struggle in the movie. So I think it's a movie that actually has like some interesting themes in it, but just one that was just really ignored um, and shunned because of, again, the content uh, and the use of, you know, people with, you know, disabilities. So mm-hmm. um, I always found that to be interesting. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I, I think it's definitely a film worth checking out. Have not um, seen just yet. just for the historical context alone, uh, but in terms of cult films, I guess we could say like again, and I don't know if there's one earlier than this. I'm sure there may be, um, and it's interesting to think about because a lot of movies from that era um, are gone in terms of you know preservation efforts. You know, yeah. we've lost a lot of movies from you know <clears throat> the tens, the twenties, and the thirties even. So the fact that this movie, even being met with the backlash that it had at the time is still here with us today is, is interesting, but yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that is a cult film and one that I would never consider to be a cult film. Cause based on my perception of what a cult movie is, I'm like, damn, it's a cult movie from the thirties. Like, you know, I just didn't associate that time frame with, with movies like this, because even the movies that I was aware of from the time frame, which I thought were, you know, I always looked at the universal monster movies as, oh, well, they're kind of cult movies too, because they're horror. And I always associated cult movies with horror and science yeah. fiction for the longest time. And obviously that's not the case, but um, I think going into it with that <laughs> attitude, I was like, damn, like the universal monster movies were actually, they were well-received for the most part, you know, they were mm-hmm. successful. Uh, and, and freaks was just one of those movies that it really was like an early, just one of those early examples of, of a film that really embodied like that whole counterculture of just doing something completely different and controversial, uh, and then developing, uh, a, you know, an audience later on that actually respects it, uh, and endears it. So I would definitely check that out. So that was my pick freaks. It was it was interesting while you were talking. I, I read through it, and it looks like they added it to the National Film Registry in 1994 as like yeah. being culturally uh, culturally significant. So, yeah, it'd be mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to check it out. I haven't seen a lot of movies from the 1930s. There's one. If you guys ever want to check it out, it's called Babyface. I think it came out like 1931 or 32 or something like that. And I think it's starring Barbara Stanwyck is her name. Um, Barbara really Stanwyck, solid movie. Yeah. yeah uh really really good movie um but that that's definitely like one of those earlier movies right 30s mm. and 20s it's when you start kind of getting a real transition into kind of like the classic hollywood that we 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 know and love but mm. uh i gotta check that movie out man it's just i don't know if you saw that episode that chase and i did well with a, a santa sangre uh and no country for old men i i do not like circus shit <laughs> I hate circus <laughs> shit. I just, I just can't stand I, it. It's not a phobia or not. I just don't like the circus. It's on my list of things. That, and I said before we started, like, I got to watch the episode because I'm, I, I, I had a feeling that Chase was going to be receptive, um, to no country, but I was curious to see what you thought of Santa Sangre. Cause when he told me that that was his pick, I was like, that's actually a pretty good one. So, yeah, 
Um, and it's one that's, you know, again, Santa Sangre is praised up there with, you know, Holy Mountain mm-hmm. and some of his other films. So Topo, I was curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what what your thoughts are on it. But yeah, but I, yeah, I just Topo is another good one. Man. So a Freaks, yeah. I, 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 I'm curious now just at the history of it. Well, uh, Freaks, it, it's as yeah. real as it gets, dude, because, you know, when when they casted the movie, they essentially scouted the country for people from sideshows and carnivals to to star in this movie, you know, to fill the roles of the, the freaks, so to speak, that they were looking for. So I'll put that at um, the bottom of my watch list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but you know what, dude, it's again, and it's not everyone's cup of tea to this day. You know, sure. it, it's I don't own the movie personally. Um mm-hmm. But I've seen it, you know, after seeing the full, you know, 90 minutes. I mean, yeah, it, it, in terms of film history, I think it's important to watch it for the context and just to understand its place yeah, uh, in cinema history. But I mean, I, I mean, it's amazing how a movie can go from being universally hated when it's released and, and shunned and, and considered, you know, so appalling that it, it, it needs to be banned. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't deserve to see the light of day and then to eventually be added to the the national, you know, film registry. You know, would you say 94 when they added it? Yeah, 94. So that that's amazing. But yeah, I, I think it's an important movie to check out, you know, uh, yeah. in that regard. So I'll definitely check it out. Chase, did you have another? Uh, oh, yeah. Another Pikmin? I actually changed it because I was going to talk. I'll, I'll just shout it out super quick because most people know of the movie. I was going to shout out Heavy Metal. Um, so shout mm-hmm. out Heavy Metal. You know, great movie. Um, mm-hmm. Did 9.6 million box office. Did just under 20 or budget. And then it did just under 20. So it kind of broke even to a lesser degree. But I was going down this little bit of a rabbit hole while you guys were talking because I had one movie over here. And I was like, is that really cult? And then I started looking at who directed it. And I was like, God, this is this just fits the epitome of everything we're talking about. So I wanted to talk about Cosmo or Panos Cosmatos, who has done two probably of the biggest cult movies in like the world that I like. I really engulf myself in and like the genre landscape and everything. He did Mandy with Nick Cage, and he also did Beyond the Black Rainbow, which both absolutely bombed box office wise. Beyond the Black Rainbow had a budget of $1.1 million, did $56,000. Um, Mandy had a budget of $6 million and did box office $1.7, but that was an RLJE movie, and I'm pretty sure that had a shutter premiere with a very limited um, actual theatrical release. So I wouldn't necessarily call it because, you know, if you go into the Discord right now and ask most people about Mandy, they're going to know what you're talking about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've seen it. Yeah. But both of those movies, I'm just so, so surprised that those are the only two films with an eight-year gap in between it. With that schedule, we should be getting a new movie by him in the next two years. Because mm. Beyond the Black Rainbow is one of the biggest acid trips in that category of movies that I've ever seen. Um, I'm not a huge fan, of personally, of the third act. Uh, I mean, I, it, that's just going to be up to interpretation. But it's definitely like it has like these almost 2001 A Space Odyssey-esque type of sequences whenever you get into the the second act. It, it's it's just it's really 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 engulfing it keeps you invested the world that's presented to you is unlike any other it's definitely wildly different and i'm glad that it has that cult status uh, i don't think that one is as well known as his second film mandy nick cage is going to draw on a lot of people from his name alone but mandy i had to shout that out because mandy just has such just like being on the black rainbow this guy uh panados or cosmatos he has a very unique style, and I can tell when I'm watching, even though I only have two, I can tell his style when I'm watching his movies. 
Mandy is a super colorful, very bright, very vibrant with a lot of style over substance. Now there's substance there and Mandy's not like the deepest lore in the movie and neither mm. is Beyond the Black Rainbow. I think Beyond the Black Rainbow is definitely a lot deeper, but I'm just really excited to see what he does and I really hope he does find mainstream success because both of his movies that he's done so far have just mm. really fallen under that cult category. Um yeah. I don't and I don't even see a lot of people talk about him by name as much as just about his movies. So I'm hoping that his like time to shine and everything does come because he's put out some two absolutely interesting worldwide types of movies. Mandy is one of my favorite in that world movies that I've seen with not really a story to it, but a lot of substance, you know, just Nick Cage going off the wall the way he does, the way that the colors are, the way everything's presented. It's just a really, really fun time. And I don't think it's exclusive to Shutter now. I think you can even find Mandy on Tubi on our God Up in the Sky. I think you can turn it up and uh, and, and see it. <laughs> yep. So uh, I think you can find that. And I'm pretty sure you can find Beyond the Black Rainbow on there as well. But yeah, shout out those two because I was going to just talk about Mandy. I had that on my list, but then I realized he did Beyond the Black Rainbow. And that has to fit the cult category to such a T with what <laughs> we're talking about. Because Beyond the Black Rainbow gets a lot of love from the people that have seen it. But um, like I said, I'm not a biggest fan of the third act. I think it should have kept up with how it how it goes uphill constantly from the first to second act. But mm-hmm. I mean, other people I've seen just find it to get better and better as it goes on. And that's why these movies are great, right? We all take away different things from it. So that's yeah. why there's so much to love about it. But yeah, um, God, his name, I always get it backwards. Panos Cosmatos. I keep wanting to say Cosmos Panatos. That's a hell, but, yeah. a hell of a name, man. <laughs> man, it's it really hell. is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think Chase's him. prayers are going to be answered um, because he I I'm, I read that he is working on a movie with a twenty four Chase. So oh my uh, god, that'll yeah. be. A great... I don't remember the name of it, but if you uh, you could check that out when you have time, like do some research. I think he's. I think I'm pretty sure a twenty four is is producing it, and they're going to distribute it. So he's. You just, you just made Chase Jizz's pants right now. Necrocosm. <laughs> Necrocosm. Yeah, that sounds cool. I mean, yeah, I'll. It sounds it sounds great. Necrocosm. It sounds right up my alley. Yep. It's yeah, a phantasmagorical fantasy nightmare. I'm in. I don't even you need go. to read the rest of it. You don't I was gonna say you don't even, you're sold on on those words alone. <laughs> yeah. No, those are, that's it. <laughs> no, I think he's somebody he's somebody who's very inspired by, you know, people like David Lynch, um, Stuart yeah. Gordon. You know, you can yep. tell watching his movies that he's influenced by a, a lot of that stuff, the seventies and eighties films uh and you know and even movies like 2001 which is clearly you can clearly see references to that and beyond the black rainbow if you watch that yep. movie um and i i think it's interesting with him he doesn't get a lot of recognition for his movies and i hope that he does because i do think mm-hmm. he has a lot of talent i do think he has a very unique vision um in terms of the different directors that are out there today his movies definitely stand out right away like when you watch his movies like when i watched mandy i was like this is the same guy that made black rainbow you know right away he has a very yeah. unique but recognizable visual style mm. um and it's interesting that he's kind of you know continuing i guess you could say in the footsteps of his father you know his late father who passed away i'm i'm pretty sure his father directed uh i'm pretty sure he directed tombstone so his father was actually um, somewhat of an accomplished, I guess we could say an accomplished director. I mean, I think he did Tombstone. I remember they're actually releasing the film soon. I don't know if yeah, Kino is putting it out. Um, it's a movie called Leviathan. I don't know if you guys have seen that. 89? Um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. 
but I would check out Leviathan. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that. Tomb, Tombstones is an awesome movie. One of my favorite Western movies of all time. If you guys haven't seen that, check that out. And and that was um that was his father. I think his father's. Uh, I think it was George or John Cosmatos. George. George. Yeah. Okay. He also did Rambo Part Two. Oh, cool. I see. I didn't yeah. even know that. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen that movie dozens of times. I've never paid attention to the credits. I yeah. Guess, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, we'll see what's going on with Necrocosm. It sounds like something that, that I'm going to be interested in. And the fact that A24 is attached to it, hopefully, you know, a company like A24, they obviously have seen his work. So if, if yeah. they're backing a project that he's doing, I have, I have faith that hopefully uh, that's finally going to get him some, I guess we can say, more mainstream awareness or recognition, right? Yeah, So I agree. I got to watch oh. both of those. I've heard of Mandy. I haven't heard of, um, was the second one Beyond Beyond the Black Rainbow? I think you might like it. Maybe. Maybe. A two and a half out of five star movie for you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we, the more we do those episodes, Chase is just able oh, to predict man. what my ranking is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Right below Sansa Sangre. It's just, yeah, I mean, I think you'll really like like the style of it for the first two acts. But I, I think you'll fall under my same category where it might lose you in that third act, um, just personally. But, I mean, you can end up really liking it because it's really different, really different. Yeah. yeah. I'll check it out. I think you'll like Beyond the Black Rainbow more than Mandy because I, I think because of your appreciation and your love for 2001, I feel like you're going to like yeah. Beyond the Black Rainbow more. Okay. Um, Mandy's definitely more of a... I mean, we could put it this way. It's it's definitely more violent. It's definitely more in the realm of kind of like a revenge horror. It's dude, it's weird. It's like a you guys had me watch like Tokyo Gore out. police. Like, I mean, at this point, it's better than that. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's not on that level. Let's yeah. Put it that way. But so um, I think everything yeah. under that is isn't gonna be too bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll have like we'll set it perfectly. You'll find appreciation in this movie just purely with how much the references from two thousand one, especially in the second act. Because that's why I ended up checking it out. I was going down a rabbit hole after I watched 2001 for the first time years ago, and that movie was recommended to me. And I was like, okay, turned it on immediately. It was streaming on Prime at the time, and yeah, had a good time with it. To be here I come. Yeah. <laughs> what um, is think, your pick? Let me see here. I, yeah, we have a little list book. coming. Let's see. We did The Big Lebowski. Um, I'm trying to see. Let, let me do one that we've all seen because, I mean, I, I don't think, Chase, you haven't seen The Warriors yet, right? No, my copy's ready for pickup to Barnes and Noble. Finally, dude. That, that took yeah. like weeks. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, let's skip the Warriors for now, just because I mean, a great movie, by the way. And I and the 4K I just saw it. Will it's it's freaking outstanding. Oh hell yeah, man! I'm glad yeah. you, you enjoyed it though. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. I had seen the Warriors awesome. a while back. I just hadn't seen the 4K, and it's yeah. it's it's a freaking beautiful transfer. It looks um, good on that OLED, man. Yeah, it does. For sure. Um, let's go with one that and and that we've all seen. Um, let's go with the thing. Because oh, I haven't thing... seen that. No, I'm just, I'm just, oh, messing. dude, I'm, I'm just kidding. I was about <laughs> to like leave right now. I'm like, no way, man. No, yeah, I've seen that. He had his sure. hand on the button. He was ready to. He was ready to <laughs> yeah, I was like, but I, I, I was like, I know Chase is joking, right? I was like, yeah, because no. I think we've <laughs> talked about the thing. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, but you said it so convincingly. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, the hey, thing, you guys are I, talking about the 2011 remake, right? Love that. Oh, oh for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I didn't know this that I 
I mean, I, I know that it, it didn't, I think it didn't do well when it first came out, like box office wise, right? Because I, I know you had pointed out, Will, that uh, yeah. it had some stiff competition that year, but um, like it wasn't, it wasn't like critically appreciated, like when it, when it first came out, which is, no. which is mind boggling to me just because I, I don't know if it's because like we're in this era now of like we're, we, we just have a lot more appreciation for kind of like, practical effects and kind of like a more grounded ish kind of story obviously it's, a, it's like a freaking alien monster but i mean the fact that you're like secluded you know what i mean i think it's is it uh, i think it's antarctica right where it mm -hmm. takes place yeah. yeah um you're you're secluded it's kind of like more grounded where it's like this kind of iso isolation horror uh plot i i feel like that's more appreciated now versus kind of like the stuff that you said it went against i think you said it went against like et and some what else was the competition at the time it was it was just movies at the time i mean you know et was a movie that was so culturally significant yeah that i mean it, it's just it's hard to compete with that right and i mean you got spielberg who at that time he was already an established name not that john carpenter wasn't but mm -hmm. you know spielberg had already been around you know so you have a spielberg movie uh, for release in the same year the same time you know in, in terms in, in the science fiction category and and the thing was more, you know, it's a science fiction horror film, whereas E.T. is really a film that appeals to to everybody. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it just a, it's a lot grittier too. I mean, the tone it's of a it lot. Was, it is a lot grittier. Yeah, a that's lot an grittier. Um, and I was reading while you guys were talking that I guess I I didn't know this at the time. Uh, the country was kind of going or bouncing back from a recession or going through a recession at the time when the thing was released. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know if that kind of played into it as well, but um i think it's one of those movies man that you just kind of go back and and you it, it goes back to basics i guess that's what i'm trying to say right it, and it does it so well right it's like let's just have a group of characters kind of go against this thing that you know we we really can't see and i think that's what the scary part is about the thing it's like you never know where where it's at or who it is and what's going on you're always just kind of paranoid um yeah. and and i think that bleak kind of grounded gritty atmosphere you know decades later is just so well appreciated especially the practical effects because i still stand by the fact like when that thing is devouring those dogs it mm -hmm. is fucking disgusting dude it looks <laughs> it looks so real and it's so yeah, freaking man. well done man and it's 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 hard watching that scene because i'm a dog lover and you hear these dogs freaking like you know they're they're crying and they're dying and it's mm -hmm. it's such an intense scene and but that whole movie is intense you know what i mean it, it's yeah. such a paranoid ride par a ride of paranoia and i think that it's it's something that i could see how how people kind of developed an appreciation for over time whereas mm -hmm. maybe when it first came out it's like this is a little bit <laughs> this is a little bit too much um yeah but i mean obviously well this i think this is like one of your favorite movies isn't it it's one I of my all-time favorite movies yeah. i mean as far as a john carpenter film i mean it's Halloween is my favorite slasher movie. It's probably one of my favorite movies of all time, but I I tend to go back and forth with that and the thing. I just think the thing you know influenced me. I mean, for what I do nowadays, you know, uh it's a big influence on me and and the people around me, the people that I work with, you know, it's it's mm -hmm. one of those movies that um people look to for for practical effects, you know, in terms of how things were done. And it's just interesting to look back on. Before I really get into my bit on it, though, I, I want to just clarify things because I think you guys are going to find this really interesting. And just to kind of give people an idea 
of what this movie was up against. Um, I want to just I want to just kind of paint the picture here real quick, if you guys don't mind. So the thing was yeah. released on June 25th of 1982. It was released in late June. Um, E.T. was released on June 11th that mm-hmm. same year. Um, but um, I was I was doing a little bit of research. Not only was it competing with E.T., Poltergeist was released on June 4th. So Poltergeist was, was in its fourth wow. week of release Dang. when the thing came out. So not only did it have to go up against E.T., which is, again, a, just a Spielberg juggernaut, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have Toby Hooper's Poltergeist, which was also universally, you know, praised. So, yeah. you know, pretty, pretty good reception uh, on initial release. So, yeah, guys, I mean, it's it's and, and the fact that it was released later in the month, I'm it's always one of those things where you wonder if it was released even a month earlier, whether or not it would have been more financially yeah. successful, because I think the budget was about 15 million or so, um, obviously adjusted for inflation. Uh, and it only made like 20 million or something like that. So it, it didn't lose money uh, in terms of the budget, but again, not taking marketing into account, it was probably, mm-hmm. probably lost money. So, um, and just, I mean, dude, to have to compete with ET and poltergeist, that's yeah. Especially I, in I that climate it, too, where like, like you'd mentioned these films, it, it was a different theatrical climate at the time, right? Where it's like, you know, you release yeah. a movie like ET and that movie is performing well for like months. It's not like yeah. how it is mm-hmm. now where it's like, you know, two weeks and then it starts dropping off. It's like, you know, a movie will be up for months and people are still in line for it three months in and same thing yeah. with poltergeist. So it's, it's, yeah, I'm sure. And, and it's weird kind of at the end of the month, like right before 4th of July, Mm-hmm. holiday which is kind of a weird release date right it's like it follows those two movies it doesn't get to take yeah. advantage of the fourth of july kind of weekend yeah. crowd so it's a weird release date i want to put it in a winter month man it's a cold movie you know <laughs> it's, I mean? yeah <laughs> chase you said it you just said it brother i, I and, yeah. and i've said this before i think i've mentioned this to people in the community there's two movies that i and, and i'll get into my bit uh, there's two movies that i watch almost every year in the winter time you know, whether mm-hmm. there's a storm, the perfect opportunity to watch this movie is when you're snowed in or when it's there's snow outside, mm-hmm. it's cold. Gabe, unfortunately, you know, I can't won't take get advantage of that. Experience <laughs> that, that mood, Maybe so once every like three years. <laughs> yeah, we you get it. You got to rent like a cabin somewhere and, and take the wife, yeah. you know, take the dog, get out. Come up here to the northeast, head up to Vermont or somewhere <laughs> up here and, and, and just bring yourself in the thing. cabin, bring yeah. a copy of the thing. But yeah, there's two movies I, I like to watch this time of year, at least up here where I am in the Northeast, and that's The Shining and The Thing. And and they've mm. been staples for me almost every year. There has not been a year that has gone by um, since I've discovered these movies where I haven't watched them. Uh, they've they've both been on my annual watch list. Um, and, you know, Shining's obviously great in its own right, but in terms of cult films, I think The Thing is definitely up there. Um, you know, we just talked about the initial release. I mean, this is one of those movies that was brought back to life on home video and made John Carpenter the legend that he is. I mean, he he was riding off of the success of Halloween. You know, he had had success with Halloween, too. Um, but unfortunately, the thing was really considered his first big, you know, box office bomb. And it's so unfortunate because it's such a it's such an amazing movie. I mean, a masterclass in, in special, special effects and practical effects mm-hmm. um, that still to this day. And, and, you know, I talked to colleagues 
you know, in, in my industry and, and everyone's like, yeah, dude, that's the movie. Like that's the movie that made me do what I want to do. Um, and you know, I, I got a friend that, that works in special effects makeup and he's a great guy from out in California. And he, you know, he, he's got the signed poster by Carpenter and all that. And, and it's so funny because, uh, we live in a world nowadays where again, the, the easy way out is to just, Oh, we'll just, we'll just VFX everything. You know, we'll just, we'll mm-hmm. throw it in front of a green screen and we'll just, we'll VFX it and we'll do what we can. Um, but this is a testament to the, the, the way of doing things where you, you, you do everything on the day and Tarantino said it best, you know, as a director, I want to capture everything I possibly can on film. We're going to shoot it on the day. We're going to capture it on film because it, we, I want to see it. I want it to be mm-hmm. real, as real as possible. And I want it to be authentic. And uh, Carpenter, when interviewed about this movie, it's interesting because his whole approach was they were debating, right, whether or not to, okay, well, do we do, do we take the approach of not showing the monster until the end of the movie? Right. And, and really make it mess with people, you know, because you have that whole psychological thing where like you don't know what's happening. You don't know what the monster looks like or what the guy looks like behind the mask. And they were like, no, you know, we're just we're going to show it all. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to show everything and we're just going to make it so grotesque and so hideous and so horrifying that uh, people are going to wish that we we waited until the end of the movie to show it until the big reveal. So I, I really love that approach. Uh, and then working with the effects team um, headed by, I think it was um, Rob Botin, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Rob Botin, who was the one of the lead special effects, you know, practical guys on this job. Amazing work, just amazing, uh, excuse me, amazing creature effects that still tan, uh, stand the test of time. I mean, dude, the dog scene that you mentioned, Gabe, at the oh, beginning man. of the movie, one of the scariest, most horrifying things I've ever seen. And, you know, anybody that's a dog lover, you, you just feel Worst the nightmare. horror and just, yeah. it's, it's, dude, it's just a nightmare. And that's the best way to describe it, dude. It, it mm-hmm. is just nightmare fuel, you know? Um, and, and just the creativity that, that, that went into this in terms of the, the practical effects and the creature effects, it's like, you watch this movie and you're like, who thinks of this? <laughs> Cause <laughs> it's like, it's not like they had anything to reference, you know, this was based mm-hmm. I think it was a short story. I forget what decade it was from, but it's um, the short story Who Goes There. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily a remake of the 1950s version of The Thing from Another World, which, uh, as you guys may know, that's a Howard Hawks film. And John Carpenter is a big Howard Hawks guy. He mentions Howard Hawks as one of his inspirations. It's one of the reasons why he started filmmaking, you know, pursuing that career as a director, uh, very influenced by Howard Hawks. So this was kind of his way of, okay, well, let me take a Howard Hawks movie that I grew up with, but I'm going to modernize it mm-hmm. uh, and make it my own. And uh, that's the thing. And Brand yeah, movie, man. I don't know what else to say about it, guys. I mean, we can, we can go on and on about it. Chase, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but yeah, it's up there for me. It's, it's definitely top five horror movies of all time. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll buy it on any format that it's on. Uh, I will continue to support. I mean, John Carpenter, he's the king for a reason. And I think this movie is his magnum opus, so to speak. So fantastic movie and and fantastic cult film. Yeah. I don't really have a lot to add with what you said. Like, yeah, I mean, you said it absolutely perfectly. The biggest thing was like my, actually my favorite scene in there is the blood sample scene. 
Um, mm-hmm. I found that to be one of the ten- mm-hmm. most tense moments in a movie I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was extremely mm-hmm. tense. Uh, but I also wanted to take a few seconds to shout out the X Files episode that's based off the thing. Hell yeah! <laughs> oh <laughs> that, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, I remember that one. That episode is phenomenal. It's my favorite X Files episode. Um, it's just unreal, just absolutely unreal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a masterpiece and it's in its class and everything like that. The practical effects, especially uh, shout out to the 4K. If we, if you didn't already shout that out, will. Um, the mm-hmm. practical effects, like sometimes people get, and there are times where it's warranted, where like some practical effects aren't, don't feel like they're going to hold up whenever you get the 4K and stuff like that. This is definitely not yeah. the case. It elevates it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, things just look more pristine. They look shinier. They look crisp. They look more colorful. Um, that 4K is one of my favorite things. I'm super happy I got that steelbook. I think that was the first time I seen a steelbook sell out like instantly. Yeah, it went fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's really all I have to add about that. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic movie, that one. And um, I guess to piggyback off of it, and just a quick shout out, Christine is one of my other favorite Colt um, Carpenter movies. That movie's mm, Christine's amazing. Christine's a great one. Yeah, Christine's great. So shout out Christine on while we're on the Carpenter front. And shout out to the X Files. Thanks for bringing that up, Chase. Guys, if yeah. anybody who's listening is interested in checking out, I don't know if we can. I mean. I th- I don't know if the X Files is available to stream, but if you guys it's are interested Hulu. in that episode, it's oh, on great. Hulu. Yeah, I think it's called Ice, right, Chase? Yeah, yep. I think that's the name of the episode. Yeah. Um, for those of you that are interested in checking that out, really, really great tribute. And it's a self-contained episode, so you can just go straight to it and not miss much in a linear. X Files has somewhat of a linear story, but that one you aren't gonna yeah. get messed yeah. up. You can get. So it was right like a Monster it. of the Week episode, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was yeah. great. Yeah. Shout out to X Files, man. Honestly, like a, we <laughs> we should so probably fun. do an. I love the X Files, man. Yeah. I grew up with it, and it's such a freaking good show. It's great. We can do a retrospective if you guys want to do that for a future episode. That'd be really cool to dissect. I'd love. I mean, I I love could, it. that's multiple episodes. Hell, that's. I don't like the recent, like how it ended, kind of stuff. But like, I didn't see the, any of the new yeah. seasons. The first part was actually. I know we're getting off tangent. The first one, I have the first part of the new season like the it was really solid i thought that it was yeah. like a lot of fun but like the way they ended it was like the the second part was really bad i didn't enjoy mm, it whatsoever yeah. but the the classic like what we're thinking about the 90s kind of x files just great oh yep. dude it's so good one of my favorite shows ever yeah i grew up on it yeah so maybe maybe sometime we can kind of do a, an x files retrospect that'd be that'd be fun yeah um, that'd be really good it's will think, right it's, it's yeah your, i think will yeah yeah, and well, Gabe, I know you had this one on your list too, but um, I had a particular story about this um, in terms of how I came into contact with the movie, and that is A Clockwork Orange. So I don't know if you want to go, you know, go first, or I'll go first and kind you can of go first, man. Yeah, no, because I think you were telling me a little bit about the story before we rolled. So yeah, share share your yeah. experience with it. Yeah. So in high school, we had a, a film studies class uh, by my theater teacher, um, who was you know awesome guy. And it, it took him forever to get this this film studies class going uh, with the he had to get the board to approve it and all that, you know, yada, yada. And uh, um, so it was like sophomore year of uh, of high school. And, you know, just to throw it out there, like I went to a Catholic school, so you guys can imagine probably how this this ended up turning out. <laughs> but we, we you know, it, it's just so funny to me because, you know, the year before. You know, there's word that, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so is going to get a film studies class going next year. And, you know, I, I was in a group of friends where, you know, I had, I you know, I played football in high school. So I played, you know, I ran cross country and stuff like that. So I, I kind of had friends groups. I was kind of involved with a few different things, you know, and you had like all the different posses in high school. Right. And, uh, you know, you had like the theater kids 
And then you had like the football kids, you had the cross country kids, you had the, the, the kids who used to hang out on the, on the weekends and play fucking halo, like on land parties. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember wires. So it was so weird. High school was such a weird time, but you know, there are all these, all these different groups of people. And then you had like the film nerds, you know, and I was definitely one of those, but, uh, yeah, we, we finally, we got this film studies class going sophomore year of high school and he, he finally gets it approved. They go ahead, they give him the green light. So it was going to be film studies and it was actually going to take place. It was going to be after school, um, at night. It was like seven o'clock at night. We would use the auditorium for screenings. He had this whole thing set up. It was great, right? Everybody's so excited. What's the first movie that he chooses to show is a clockwork orange. Okay. Imagine that went well. <laughs> so one would, you know, it, it, apparently it never crossed anyone's mind that, you know, well, it's the first night of this new film studies, you know, thing he's got going on. You know, obviously someone from, you know, the like the principal is going to come and check it out. He's going to pop in and, and see how things are going. Because after the fact that it happened, it's like, well, yeah, wh why wouldn't he show up? Because it's the first night of this new yeah. Thing, you know, and you would think like, well, yeah, it's it's as the principal, he would want to stop by and, and kind of show his face and check in on things. And, you know, we start watching A Clockwork Orange and, and right from that intro, when that music starts, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're in for something, something crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is one of Kubrick's most, I guess we can say, or at least at the time, like most divisive films, because most of his films were were incredibly, for mostly, you know, mostly well received, uh, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And I think A Clockwork Orange is one of those movies that, when you look at Kubrick's filmography, uh, it, it's definitely one movie that that's much harder to swallow for a lot of people. Uh, but just to finish that story real quick, you know, we're we're at the scene in the movie where the Droogs. Um, you know, w with a taste for that, uh, that ultra violence, they, they break into, forget who it is in the movie. It's the, the older gentleman and his wife. I don't know if the yeah. guy is, he's a writer, I think. Yeah. And they break into his house and they sexually assault his wife. Uh, and it's probably one of the most jarring, uncomfortable scenes to watch in the whole movie. Uh, yeah. and because the timing could not have been better at that very moment, the principal of the school walks into the auditorium and, you know, lays witness to that or bears witness to that and immediately shuts everything down. Sprays <laughs> so, holy water uh, and everything, right? <laughs> yeah. So the film studies class was, uh, you know, um, temporarily canceled. until It was like months later when he finally was able to reinstate it. Uh, and I forget what the second movie was. I think the second movie was... Um, it was tamed. the 90s. It was the, it was the Coppola. It was Coppola's Dracula. Oh, okay. A Coppola's Dracula. Um, that was the second movie we watched, which is much more tame by comparison, I, I guess you could say. But there's some scenes in that movie that are risky, too. But, uh, yeah, so that's my story. So, But the point being is, after that, it was like, okay, well, now I have to watch this movie. Because the fact that the principal <laughs> shut it down, like, now I, I have to see the rest of this movie. And it ended. We didn't even finish the scene because he immediately stormed down the center aisle of the auditorium and shut it off. Shut that off. Like, I remember him screaming. Um, everyone getting up and like looking back, like what the hell's Damn. going on? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> just wild, dude. But you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, I guess I can understand um, why he was upset because it's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you showing these people? Yeah, <laughs> what are you showing these kids? You know? 
yeah. it's an intense scene though man just because it's like yeah. it's juxtaposed with him singing right he's singing uh what song mm-hmm. was it um, singing in the rain singing in the rain yeah, yeah the and rain. he well you know so he's like you know having this great time singing this song and meanwhile this woman's getting sexually assaulted at the same time it's such a weird juxtaposed scene where it's like you get you know two extremes you know someone's singing and they're having a great time and this lady's screaming um but at the same time, it, it draws you into the movie. You know, when I first saw it, I actually couldn't get through that scene. I think I, I was like 14 when I saw this movie. Um, and I kind of stopped at that scene because I'm like, this is like intense. This is a little too intense for me. And I revisited that movie for like a year later. Um, but it, it sets everything up so well. You know what I mean? You, you can kind of get a good sense of, you know, his psychology, his mind frame. I mean, this dude's like a freaking sociopath. Like he, he doesn't care. Um, yeah. but I could see how, you know, audiences when this first came out, you know what I mean? You're buying a ticket to a movie and you're watching this scene. Everyone's probably like looking at each other, like, what the hell are we watching? Um, yeah, yeah. but I don't know. Do you guys know more of the history of this film? Cause I mean, on, honestly, I, I don't know about the history of the film as much in terms of like when it was released and like the critical reception of it. Well, it was released in the early 70s. I want to say 19, maybe the turn of the um, decade, 1970 or 1971. Uh, I know it was based on a novel. I think it was Mm -hmm. an Anthony Burgess novel. I don't remember the name of the novel. It may have been the the same same, name. Yeah, it's the same name. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, And I think that novel, I don't know if it was released. I want to say it was probably like a decade earlier from what I remember reading. Um, But the film is essentially a commentary on and people forget this too. I mean, they're juveniles in the film. They're, they're considered mm-hmm. to be like teenagers in this movie. And and that's one of the things that I didn't necessarily take into account when I first saw it, you know, you know, as a, as a sophomore in high school, it's like, well, wait a minute. These aren't, a, these aren't, these aren't men. These are young adults. These are, these are teenagers. These, these guys are like not much older than me. And this is what they're doing, you know, in a, a futuristic, uh, so to speak, I guess we could say dystopian, uh, takes place in Great Britain, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's what I know as far as the the influence for the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it comments on. I guess we can say it's kind of a play on juvenile. I guess we could say delinquency, you know, and and you know, gang not gang life, so to speak, but but gang influences. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, know, there's the there's a lot of like economic commentary in the film as well in terms of the state of things, at least at the time. Um, but yeah, it's like, like you said, Gabe, it's, it's an interesting like psychological film as well in terms of what it is that especially uh, Malcolm McDowell's character, Alex, what he's dealing with. Cause he kind of, he kind of has the, his arc is essentially, he starts off, he's just this troubled, just uh gang member, right. Um, mm-hmm. Juvenile who is just, they're, they're just the things they do are just psychotic. They're just brutal. It's incredibly violent. Like I'm remembering yeah. the scene where they I think it's the homeless guy under the, the tunnel or the bridge. Oh and yeah. They just, they just assault know, him, beat him up and just assault him. It's just, it, it, it comments on a lot of these things. Um, but it does so by employing just very violent, uh, as they say in the movie, ultra violent imagery. Um, mm-hmm. which again, for a lot of people can be very hard to watch. And I think that's why the film initially was such a turnoff for a lot of people, yeah. um, just because of how the violence is presented to the audience. It's a, it's a pretty complex movie. I mean, like you said, there's a mm-hmm. psychological aspect, the socioeconomic aspect, you know, the just, I think 
I think it's it, it was kind of, you know, an extreme uh, depiction of just where, you know, I guess society thought it was headed. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. if you kind of keep up this trajectory, is this where we're going to go? Um, and yeah. it's a, a super complex movie to dissect and analyze. And his arc is interesting just because, you know, even at the end, I mean, he goes through all this kind of like reprogramming, so to speak, in that final scene. You, <laughs> he, you know, there's this theme of or discussion, I should say, like, can't you know, can you really change who someone is, you know, intrinsically? Like, I mean, at the end, he's kind of like, he, you get this implication, like he's, he hasn't changed. You know, he's still the Mm -hmm. same person. Yeah. It's a horrifying concept. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's what I think I really like about it is just, you know, the, 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 uh, just the deep dive kind of into the psychology of whether or not, and again, whether or not those methods work whether or not they're warranted and and there's a big like um i guess there's a the big question of the morality of it all behind it as well which i think is interesting yeah um but if i may and just going back a little bit just to comment on the release is and maybe this is what you're asking gabe so I, I apologize if if i uh, misunderstood but i guess in terms of how it was received i don't know if that's how you were asking what you're asking but I, i'm pretty sure the reviews were mixed mm. um I, I don't think it was overly again like as i said uh, when we opened up, I don't think it was as universally accepted as, again, Kubrick's other films leading up to yeah. this point. So, but it, it wasn't definitely like completely was, panned either. At the same time, I think there are some people yeah. who looked at the construction of the film and said they they kind of see what what he's trying to do. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm looking through this here. Interesting. Uh, Roger Ebert said it was two stars out of four. He called it an ideolo- ideological mess. <laughs> Oh boy, uh, which is interesting because I know sometimes he did kind of retrospect reviews too, where like ten years mm-hmm. later he would review a movie and reanalyze it. But I mean, yeah, man, it, it, I, I think it's one of those movies like the first time you see it, you're you're gonna get this kind of response, and mm. and I and to be honest, I don't know. I, I think this is one of those movies for sure that warrants repeat viewings because like your initial yeah. response isn't. It, this is gonna sound weird. I, I don't think it's actually like quote-unquote like right in the sense like my my initial response watching this movie the first time actually is like this this freaking movie's atrocious <laughs> like this is this is crazy but when i watched it again yeah i i i started kind of you know processing some of the kind of what we talked about these themes of like psychology and society and where it's headed and it has a lot deeper meaning um mm-hmm. where kind of like with roger ebert i would say maybe i was in that camp of like this is an ideological mess but like actually you know as the yeah. years progress and I, I think i watched it like five years later i was like 19 when i saw it the second time um i can see that a lot of the deeper themes and a lot of the stuff that it was trying to kind of talk about it just does it in a very extreme way yeah and I, and again i think the reason well one of the reasons why it's it's very easy and we talked about this with some of the previous movies we talked about uh on the podcast you know in the last hour here uh it's one of those movies that has a it's a there's a much deeper meaning behind what's being presented i just think the way in which these themes are presented uh are so extreme at least at the time that yeah it was easy for people to say okay well i'm i'm not no this is not for me or no this is a mess this is yeah this is too controversial because i'm pretty sure this film was given an x rating originally in the united states i'm not sure what the british um, i think it was banned in the uk actually wasn't it i remember reading an article about it yeah from what i remember so they i think it was released uncut in the uk from what i remember and Mm. audiences were 
so shocked by it that they ended up pulling it and I think re-releasing it uh, with, a. I guess they cut out some of the sexual violence that was involved, mm. um, that was shown. So um, it was not necessarily the the straight violent scenes, like the assault of the uh, homeless guy or the vagrant, so to speak, uh, for lack of a better word, in the tunnel, but more so the scenes that incorporated like the sexual violence. I think that's what yeah. disturbed people the most. So I think that's some of the stuff that was cut out of the film before it was re-released uh in the uk after they pulled it but yeah it was i'm pretty sure it was given an x rating in the u.s originally so interesting what about you chase what's your what's your experience with clockwork orange i've actually only seen it once and it's my least favorite kubrick movie but i think yeah listening to you brought up a good uh it's just like i think i might have said that on here it's movies with the content with violence on women. I think I said it in a review. Well, yeah, during the Lost Picture Show, uh, because there's a movie that's a lot like I Spit on Your Grave. I talked about this. Mm. Movies with violence on women in this category are extremely hard for me to watch. Um, it seems like we all had a similar yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I can watch people get beheaded. I can watch like like blood, like cover, like damn near 3D come at me and splash me in the face, everything. But the second something happens to a female on screen... I literally will start pacing around. It makes me extremely uncomfortable and it, mm. it, it makes me feel something. That's why movies are so powerful. It makes me feel something that no other anything in a movie has ever made me feel. Yeah. And so even getting past that and trying to, to get past that, it was just, I, I really do think I need to give it a second watch. Like you said, because you, I think you said it beautifully. Like after I watched it, I remember the person I was seeing at the time we were sitting there watching on the couch. She loved it. I was like, this is not a movie I'm ever going to rewatch again. I have no reason to. I, I did not like it that much. I can appreciate Kubrick's, you know, ideas, his cinematography, the way that he filmed it, everything like mm -hmm. that. But this is a movie. I think I even went trying to hunt for like the steelbook for it because that was my first time watching it was on 4K mm -hmm. whenever the 4K came out. Oh, OK. Yeah, because um, I was going through the Kubrick Bender and Clockwork Orange was probably the one I was most curious about. So maybe I hyped myself up with the cult status of it as well. But I mean, mm. I, I can understand why people like it for sure, because it is one of the most unique movies out there in its category. It really is. It's very self-contained. It's very aware of what it's trying to do. And what's in it is unlike what's in any other film out there. So I can respect the hell out of it for that. Yeah, I, I had the same reaction you did, dude. I, and and I, 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 again, I don't want to I hate I say, quote unquote, wrong reaction. I think it's just because like it's yeah. such a it's such a natural intrinsic reaction that we have. Like you said, like watching a female get assaulted that it's yeah. like, what, what the hell is this? Right. It's like, I, yeah. I can't watch. And that was my, I stopped watching it when I was like yeah. 14 or 15 at the time. I was like, I can't watch the rest of this movie. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, once you kind of move, if you watch it again and kind of move past that and kind of see a lot of like these themes kind of playing out, you, you might have a different interpretation. Who knows? You know, yeah, you may might. watch it again and be like, <laughs> it's great screw this movie or it's good it's yeah. great or it's screw this yeah. movie who knows but it's definitely yeah i think it's one of those films that does warrant you know repeat viewing because it's interesting you brought it by spit on your grave because i had the same issue I, with that, that movie that i can movie. never watch again i can Dude, never yeah, i saw it once and i was again. like i can't you know it, it's it, you, you don't even because it's so what's depicted is so extreme like yep. i felt like you you don't even get the the satisfaction of like her vengeance so to speak mm -hmm. you know yeah, what i mean it like it happens to her so much and it's so yeah short. it's yeah. so it's just too intense where it's not like you know it's not like i hate comparing it to this you know it's, it's like you know john wick he gets attacked his dog dies it's like you know like a two minute thing and you move forward with it but like that that movie it was extreme it was like, like three quarters of it 
yeah and it was like holy crap man this is like this is tough yeah. to watch and like you don't get that kind of revenge satisfaction of it just because the depiction of it is just so it's it's up there and it's it's yeah. hard to watch and for sure yeah the, this movie kind of I, I totally see where you're coming from where maybe that first reaction because i had it too but yeah. it, it's worth maybe a, a, a second watch just to kind of you know see how you look at it a few years later yeah i definitely will because some kubrick's things like 2001 i instantly loved um dr strange love i liked a lot my first viewing but my second one i loved it you know what yeah. i mean and i feel like whenever you like a, a lot of the times whenever you have a first viewing of a movie you're looking for specific for specific things right mm -hmm. so you're yeah. looking for to find something to click with right and then i feel like yeah. at least me personally if i'm going back and watching a movie um like i told you guys about halloween 2018 i watched it multiple times and then my most recent rewatch i actually appreciated it and i'd seen that movie every single year yeah since it yeah. came out wow so like you know now i actually appreciate it but then the second viewing i'm going in there and being like okay what did i not appreciate about this what was i overlooking what was you know i'm not trying to be overly mm -hmm. critical but i'm trying to find something new from something familiar if that makes sense yeah um, because yeah. That, that should be the reason why i'm rewatching it and you can still appreciate, you know, what it's trying to, you know, yeah, what it's sure. trying to say, but still feel like, okay, well, I, I get what they're going for. Like, I get what Kubrick was going for with this. And there are plenty of people that understand the movie, but again, it's, it, it's violent. Like a yeah. lot of that stuff is, it's hard for people to watch. You know, you mm -hmm. guys mentioned I spit on your grave. I think mm -hmm. that's one of the few movies that I own that I don't think I'm going to watch again. And it's one of those things where it's like, why did I, why did I, I buy was the this? same thing? Mm -hmm. I bought it because I was like, oh, this, yeah, this is controversial. This is a classic. I have to have this in the collection regard, you know, the horror films. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those movies, man. Like I watched it once I bought it. And I said, okay, yeah, this is why, like, why did I want to watch this again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I mean, I get what I spit on your grave. I, I understand the message of that movie, but I mm -hmm. think it's what you guys said. Well, Gabe, you said it perfectly. Like John Wick is one of those movies where the revenge that's enacted is satisfying to watch. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel mm -hmm. like there is a payoff there. Whereas I spit on your grave, uh, you just never get that. And nothing she does to those to to those people um, is ever gonna help her overcome that trauma. Yeah, yeah, it's just all for nothing. You know, it's not it, it just it it just doesn't feel warranted to me. Um and yeah, so that's a hard movie to watch. I mean, I spit yeah. on your grave. We could call that. I mean, that's more of an exploitation film as as yeah. much. It's it, definitely has a cult following. It has a cult following for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, with Clockwork Orange, I, I definitely think you should check it out again. But I understand yeah. totally, dude. I mean, even now, mm -hmm. like, I'm I was kind of the opposite. Like what Gabe said. Like he said, no, I'm I'm I don't need to watch this. Whereas I kind of ran the other way because. It was someone else saying, no, 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 they can't see yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. I think that was part of my curiosity. It was yeah. like, well, wait a minute. What else happens in this movie that they don't want me to see? So that's why I sought it out. But yeah, even after watching it, I was like, okay, I, I can understand what's going on here somewhat. You know, you know being a sophomore in high school, like you yeah. know, my knowledge was limited, right? And yeah, that was, I think, the first movie that I saw in a while that really like blew my mind. Like, damn, this is, there's some crazy shit going on in this movie. Uh, yeah and but it's still uncomfortable right yeah. at times so um and even today i mean you know i don't remember when the last time i saw it was uh, probably two or three years ago now probably a little longer but you know it, it's still uncomfortable to watch and that's the other thing too it's like it's hard to watch those kinds of movies with certain people like a clockwork orange is is not a movie that i would show um 
like my girl on a first date or something like that. No, you know? for like sure. Yeah. You really need to to watch it with somebody who is psychologically ready to, you know, do a deep dive into it and, and kind of look at it from an open mind and say, okay, what else are they trying to tell me here beyond what I'm seeing? Because what you're seeing is is violent and brutal and uncomfortable yeah. to watch. But if you can get beyond that, I think there's you know, there's some significant messaging there that is relevant even today. So, yeah, and I agree, um, especially because like, it's play. the way it's presented that I, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Like, you know, like because for me to yeah. say that I, it's like my least favorite Kubrick, that's still super high regards. You know what I mean? Of course. You know, yeah. like because I mean, the way that he presents even the most simplistic of ideas like Lolita and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or Barry Lyndon and stuff, you know, like yep. very, very simplistic stories with the Kubrick like flavoring spice, you know, the baking that mm-hmm. he does. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not like I spit on your grave where there's like a very, very, very simple context of it, because even when it comes to Clockwork Orange, it's a very, very subtext of what actually happens in the rest of the movie. You know right. what I mean? I spit on your grave. Literally 70 plus percent of that runtime is dedicated to what happens to her, you yeah, know? It's, it's completely yeah so like on this one at least it's like a, a quick five minute skip but mm-hmm. even then whenever this is happening it's not like even death wish okay i think death wish would probably be the best comparison right because it's That's a very a very really good one yeah. yeah because like it's a very very short synopsis that leads mm-hmm. to a lot of like domino effects happening right so i think yeah. death wish is like definitely the best one to kind of you know throw comparisons out there because i spit on your graves so different but yeah, because like even like you guys are saying, he's singing, uh, sing, singing in the rain and stuff like that. Like that's mm-hmm. wild, you know, like to like to conjugate that stuff together like that. Right. And yeah, I can have a massive amount of appreciation for Clockwork Orange and the way that it does things. And I was surprised I didn't like it because dystopian movies like Demolition Man, Running Man, um, mm-hmm. Endgame, um, Cyber Zone, Crime Wars and stuff like that. Those yeah. are some of my favorite types, like Soylent Green. You know what I mean? Oh, Logan's dude, Ryan. Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I love dystopian movies. So mm-hmm. whenever I walked away and I wasn't that satisfied from it, I was like, uh, wow, that's actually surprising, you know? Mm-hmm. But no, I can understand all of that. I definitely will probably be giving it a rewatch because I don't like all my 4Ks. I at least try to watch multiple times. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I never try to one and done, except so there are some occasions where I blind buy something and it doesn't work out. And I usually end up selling it or it just sits on the shelf, depending on how I've, I might revisit it in a couple of years. Clockwork Orange mm-hmm. definitely warrants me going back because I'm pretty sure that has an Atmos track, right? That's not five point one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it sounded great. Sure Atmos. Yeah. Did, what was the I'm issue wonderful. with the with the release? Was it like there's controversy because it didn't have the mono track on it? Maybe I didn't know there was there's any something issues. like not controversy, but yeah, like a lot of people were complaining that it was like lacking something. I think it was the mono track, the original track that it came with, which I I don't have an issue with personally. Sometimes the monos not, are super awesome to listen to. Sometimes it's cool. It it's just a yeah. whole new layer. It, it's cool to have. I just don't think it like takes away from a release to me. But oh, for sure. I think just some people, when it comes <laughs> to like the mentality for like a thirty second tangent, is they want everything to be complete. When not everything's yeah. going to be complete. You know, like Lord of the Rings, mm. that Middle Earth Collector's Edition. People were so mad because it was missing like half the bonus features off another former Lord of the Rings um, set that came out. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And I mean, I understand that, but that's why there's multiple collector's edition, and it's up to you as the buyer to decide what you want to buy. Plus, you know most what those I mean? people have bought that shit already. <laughs> they own it, yeah. so it's like, yeah, when people complain about that, it's like, dude, you know you've bought the other one. Like, Yeah, <laughs> you're complaining, <laughs> you're looking at it. Yeah. yeah. You're it's on your shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. there you go. All the times I've bought it, bro, I've bought Lord of the Rings more times than I could count, unfortunately. Yeah. And then I want to give a... Um, go for it, Will. Oh, no, go ahead. I just wanted to comment on that audio track because I remember hearing something about that. I looked it up. I guess it doesn't have Atmos. It's a DTS HD uh, 5.1. Oh, oh, okay. So um, it is 5.1. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'm, this is just from like, uh, I read some on the digital bits and then I'm on the AV forums here. Um, I guess it's well separated, but uh, they're saying there's something wrong. It's like some parts of it, they're like a little too front heavy in terms of the mix. Mm. Um, but they do mention the mono track. So the only problem with the mono track is that there is a bit of loss there that happens. So, mm. um, okay, although so the leveling on the mono track is more natural. So yeah, they do have the mono okay. track, although it's not perfect. They're saying that there is, mm. there's some loss there with the audio at times, but, oh, okay. um, they're saying it's, it's more, um, there's more of a natural sound to it. So a uh, bit of a better balance, so to speak, I guess, than the, uh, the DTS 5.1. Mm, interesting okay yeah just for people that are curious yeah no yeah because that makes sense i'm no i think i remember hearing about that but i mean whenever i listen to it it sounded fine for me mm. but also i didn't have the setup at the time that i do now so probably going back i might notice a little bit different things mm. um gabe i don't know if you have one more but i wanted to shout out these last two one only takes 30 seconds and if i say the name yeah, most people shout like, out, oh, cool yeah do it, uh, scott pilgrim versus the world uh oh, a yeah, lot of people dude, don't realize know. yeah that movie yeah. bombed. It didn't even mm -hmm. make back its initial non-marketing budget. It did um, 49.3 on an $85 million budget, um, which surprised me looking at that even before this because I heard so many good things about it. I bought the Blu-ray whenever it came out. yeah, And that is one of my favorite movies of all time, stylistically, aesthetically, everything about that movie. I find it to be a near-perfect movie from front to back and a great adaptation of the, the graphic novels that it adapts. It's just so fun a quirky story like i can i can still hysterically laugh at the part when scott pilgrim jumps through the window when his ex-girlfriend comes knocking <laughs> as if it's the first time i've ever seen it every single time it's just the goofiest yeah. thing in a movie ever i love it um i even have the vinyl right over there I, I think i think it's in the youtube videos you should be able to see it but i have the vinyl for it i'm a huge scott pilgrim fan i have all of the novels I need to check out the Netflix series, but I wanted to throw that fun fact out there because Scott Pilgrim is such a common movie that you can talk to a lot of people about nowadays yeah. that I am so yeah. surprised that it did not do well because I even remember when it came out, the word of mouth was super strong, super strong. Um, and then I you guys know had some competition like when it came out. I, I don't know. I need to go back and see the release date and everything, but let's see. August 25th, 2010. 2010. Yeah, that'll... Yeah, That'll I got to super interesting. It, yeah, it, it always had, dude, that, that movie's just, you know, it, it's so good. It, it's like, you know, I remember seeing it the first time and just, I, I didn't know anything about Scott Pilgrim. I just kind of saw it like kind of like a blind buy. Um, and just as soon as you start getting into, you know, the boyfriend battles and everything turning into almost like <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, yeah, like yeah. fighting kind of like, I'm like, well, this is freaking incredible. I love it. It's fucking yeah. awesome. It's, it's a hilarious so movie. Dude. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to look that up, but while I'm looking this up, because I don't have to look up a damn thing about this movie, because, I mean, I even have a banner for it, and I wear the hoodie in all of my episodes, but um, The Void. I'm going to take my five seconds to talk about oh, The Void yeah, the every void, single yeah. time that I can. Um, movie was made on $86,000, um, and the fact that a movie in the last 10 years got made on $86,000 and was that great, um, I'm always going to use this for whether returning new listeners, um, whatever the case may be, to put on The Void as one of the best movies. It's one of my favorite movies of all time now. The more and more I rewatch it, it's perfect from front to back. The score, the setting, the way that everything's done. Kostansky kills it. They do a great job. He did an absolutely stellar job with Le- Leprechaun Returns. That's one of the strongest Leprechaun movies out of like the last two or three installments. And it's just so, so good um whenever it came out um i love the void and i didn't actually know the blu-ray is a little bit pricier i got it on an amazon clearance for five dollars and apparently it's going up there in price is it yeah last time i saw it was going for like 30 40 dollars on ebay i need to double check into that but yeah i'm looking at the right to that 55 what the that'd be a good one to re-release soon like i'm surprised Mm -hmm. one of the boutique labels haven't uh picked Picked it up because i feel like that's like Right up their alley, you know, you something like Vinegar Syndrome or Arrow. Okay. Oh, my bad. Will go ahead. No, I Arrow was just talking great. about the fact that I'm I'm surprised that hasn't gotten a re-release because I feel like that movie's gotten enough of a following now that you know that would that would sell because yeah. everybody who, who I know that it, that has seen it has has liked it. Yeah, I I like you. It. I'm surprised. Oh, you watched The Void? Yeah. I've oh, okay. It gave me like I mean like I can kind of even see you, you never saw Stranger Things, right? No, like I know it's like a weird comparison, yeah. but uh, there's definitely things like I think from Stranger Things that took like, they took from the void in terms of like oh, influence. Yeah, definitely yeah. has that vibe, especially with the most yeah. recent season of Stranger Things. Like, yeah, if you watch Stranger Things season four, Chase, there's clear re- like yeah. it's, it's the void. They, <laughs> they watch the void. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. definitely. I think Chase it. would actually like Stranger Things, dude. It's a like very sci-fi Goonies I horror do, mix I, like I together. Agree. Yeah. I have they, that. They pretty much First take a lot of stuff. Oh, have you seen it? No, oh, <laughs> I shit, found it. I think, it, dude. Yeah, I found it at you half price books it. for like twelve bucks because they yeah. had it as marked as the Blu-ray season. So I found yeah, the four K. The thing with me with Stranger Things, real quick, and we're going off topic yeah. here a little bit. But <laughs> the thing with Stranger Things with me, and you know, let me know if you guys agree. I mean, well, Gabe, you've seen it, so maybe mm-hmm. you'll agree or not. But it kind of law like the mystery was there with the first season, you know, it was, there, there was a much more of a sense of intrigue with that original season. Yeah. Um, it definitely piqued my curiosity that tended to, after season two, it fell off a little bit for me, but I thought four was, I mean, season four is probably the most violent season. That was the most recent one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause they're filming five now. Yeah. Yeah. Four was, I I loved season four. The season three definitely kind of like was a fall off kind of like, I feel like it was kind of like a filler season, but Four yeah. was definitely, I think it's like a perfect blend of like sci-fi, almost horror kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, and it's interesting because it's like a lot of people hear Stranger Things and I mean, they see like they, they see the kids, right? And it's like, oh, kind of this Goonies kind of thing. But there mm-hmm. are some like pretty intense scenes that and pretty like violent scenes in it too um, mm-hmm. that, that happen. So it's, it's a cool blend of just like 80s horror, sci-fi uh kind of stuff i think chase i think you'd actually like it i think you'd have a fun time with it but i, I, I have seen the void you'd like season four the most i think you'd oh really yeah dig season season, four, dude, chase, i'm like waiting I, for season five like this i think season four up. like you said gabe it's like the perfect blend of like 
science mm-hmm. fiction and horror, which I was, I kind of wanted that from the first season. And mm-hmm. like we had the sci fi element to it. And we had some horror elements in it, but it yeah. never really got there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think in terms of like the intrigue and like the just the, I guess the enigmatic nature of the events that were happening. That, that's what really carried the show for me, at least into season two. But uh, yeah, no. Plus season you get four, the Metallica scene. <laughs> oh, in season four. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that show is dope. But yeah, The Void, it's a great movie, man. I, I like it. Weren't they talking about doing like a, a sequel or a follow-up or something like that? Man, I feel like I'd be the first person in like a half second once that news <laughs> drops that would know. But... No, they're working on a newer movie, um, you know, like the the strikes and delays, because I follow him on Instagram. Um, I don't know what his upcoming movie is. Letterboxd is usually really solid for that. That's but, a good pick, um, though, Chase. Yeah, really I, I, I just really love that movie so much. And then I'm trying to fact check it, but I'm reading something that said that it, Scott Pilgrim opened up against Sucker Punch and Cowboys versus Aliens uh, are around that time. Sucker Punch, uh, I remember that being huge at the time. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't necessarily. It, it well, wasn't a good movie. Received. Yeah, not that. Same yeah. thing with uh, the Cowboys and Aliens was the same way though. I remember huge it was talk. like it was like huge talk about it because you had a uh, John Favreau and Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford. Yeah. But I remember seeing that in movies too, and I was like, this movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. I never watched it. It looked lame, and I, I felt like people were just kind of getting like spaghetti western sci-fi mixed together like that, and it mm-hmm. looked cool. But mm-hmm. I never saw it because I the, the word of mouth of that movie is one of the worst I've I remember hearing about like you know hype and then the movie coming out. I think that is like a one time I remember the hype not living up to its expectations. Oh, I, and sure. people are hyping themselves up, like you just said, the cast. Yeah, but yeah. And if John Favreau just came off of Iron Man at that time too, so yeah, um, you know, everyone was hyped about that too. Yeah, but it, it just didn't live up to that hype. That movie is trash. <laughs> yeah exactly do you have another one to close this out with gabe um i'm looking just honorable mentions let me see we did big lebowski we did thing warriors um obviously i think everyone knows evil dead we would bring up evil dead and talk about that for a good 30 minutes uh, so yeah a whole episode I, I was mentioning kind of scarface that one was kind of interesting just because I, I do feel like it, it it did have some like good critical reception when it came out but it was mixed and i i, I do think it 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 had like this second life though when it came out on DVD. I remember just everyone buying Scarface and talking about Scarface and uh, freaking MTV Cribs. Remember, like everyone would show off their copy of Scarface. Um, it, it had like this weird like culture when it came on like home video. It was interesting, but Scarface was a quick one. Um, and I think that's it, man. I didn't think I had any other ones. Um, I mean, we can honestly even do, I don't know what you guys think. We can honestly do the a follow-up episode on this at some point, do like a part two, because I feel like there's, there's so many. many yeah. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. We're already at a, like an hour, 40 minutes in. There's like, <laughs> you know, tons of movies that you could still talk about. So tons of great stuff out there, man. Yeah. Good topic. Um, did you have any, Will, any other shout outs or Chase? You guys no, that was it. I, I think we, we covered I think your uh, mic's getting to the... I think it went back to your camera, dude, like last time. Oh, boy. <laughs> the staticky effect. Yeah, I was like... Well, I saw his mic go on, on mute. Yeah. And then I was like, something's going on there. And then there it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Chase, any other shout-outs? I know you said The Void or... Yeah, I'll probably save it for part two because I could talk about, but almost damn near except X and Pearl because they did well at the box office. 
um, all of Ty West's filmography, The Sacrament, mm-hmm. Innkeepers, House of the Devil, everything like that, all of his movies have a cult following. All of yeah. them. I wouldn't mind doing a part two in like, you know, six months or, you know what I mean? Just to yeah. give us some space and then we can kind of go from there. I think uh, Will is still having technical difficulties. Yeah, I'm having technical difficulties, guys. You sound kind of dope, though. You sound kind of Yeah, you like do sound really close, like Optimus <laughs> Prime. What do I sound like? Like, like Optimus uh, Prime? <laughs> You know, you, you've seen Scary Movie three. Whenever they're at the White House and the aliens have like the the voice thing on their on their throat, kind of like a smoker. Oh yeah, it's like oh. hello, Mister President. Yeah, you sound like yeah. that. All right, yeah. Let's just spend the next twenty minutes recording a bunch of sound bites we can use down the line. When you talk. Yeah, I sound weird on my headphones, so yeah, I think I'm I'm good for now, guys. But a part two sounds excellent. Yeah, yeah. we will definitely follow up with a part two, guys, and. Like always, we appreciate all your guys' love and support. And um, if you've been watching these videos and you haven't already, make sure to like, subscribe, comment down below on on different cult films, maybe ones we didn't uh, mention or we forgot to mention or ones that you feel like uh, you'd like to see us talk about. And uh, again, we appreciate all the uh, love and support and we will catch you guys on the next video. Later, everybody. See ya. Can you close us out, Will, with a cool Optimus Prime? Uh, what's a quote from Transformers real quick? <laughs> Transform and roll out. Yeah. What is it? Um, Autobots or whatever he says? Yeah. <laughs> Autobots roll out? What is that what he says? Yeah, Transform so, yeah. and roll out. Uh, let me try to do his voice. How does this sound? Yeah. <laughs> Decepticons. No, I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's end it. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>